A reading now from 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. There is a part here in verse 16 that talks about the pride in riches. In older translations, that was translated the pride of possessions. And I think the best way to understand this is to remember that at the time, there were no banks where you kept your money electronically. When you went to pay some, you didn't pull out your card and run it through. You had to hand stuff over. And so to have wealth, to have riches, was to have stuff. And so it's probably very accurate to say here, the pride in possessions. Hear now the word of the Lord. Do not love the world or the things in the world. The love of the Father is not in those who love the world. For all that is in the world, the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, the pride in riches, comes not from the Father but from the world. And the world and its desire are passing away. But those who do the will of God live forever. Normally when preaching, I start with the biblical text and then I... And then I try to figure out how the Bible applies to where we are today. Well, today I'm reversing that process. I'm doing a different kind of sermon. I want to start with someplace where we are today and then ask what the Bible has to say to us. And I want to begin with, uh, it began when I read an article called The Secret Shame of Middle Class Americans. And it was an article in which it was revealed, it talked about the, the Federal Reserve Board did a study of American consumers, and they found that 47% of Americans, if an emergency arose and it was going to cost more than $400, 47% of Americans would either have to borrow the money or they would have to sell something. And the, the author of the article said, I can understand that, I'm, that's where I am. If something came up that was more than $400, I would have to borrow or I would have to sell something in order to cover that expense. But it's kind of a frightening statistic because stuff comes up that's more than $400 on a, on a fairly regular basis. Or, or maybe you're like me and with $400 you'd be safe, but where do you reach the point at which you'd have to take drastic action? Is it $500? Is it $1,000? Is it $1,500? We don't have any margin in our financial lives. We have very little margin in our financial lives. The, the secret shame of middle-class Americans is, is that we're financially insecure. Now, there are a lot of things that can be done to improve that. If you, if you listen to presidential candidates, you know that come November, we're going to elect a new president and all our problems are going to be over, all right? But for right now, for the next couple months, and for the sermon today, I want to focus on what we can do. And namely, what we can do is we can search, we can strive, we can find contentment. And when we find contentment in what we already have, we're able to save some money for emergencies that may come up. So today, I want to talk about contentment as a way of addressing some of our financial insecurity. And I, I tried to come up with a top 10 list, and then I ended up with 12 things. And I thought, great, what a biblical number. And then I thought a little bit more, and I ended up with 14 things. And for the life of me, I can't come up with anything that matches 14. But I just, I have 14 suggestions, 14, 14 words of encouragement here. 
The first thing I think to remember about contentment is that you can't take it with you. 1 John chapter 2, 17, The world and its desire are passing away, but those who do the will of God live forever. We're going to live forever. Our stuff is not. It's going to pass away. A pastor named Mike Slaughter put it more bluntly. He said, when we stand before Jesus, none of our possessions will accompany us. So you can't take it with you. And, and even worse news, or at least truth-telling is, you probably can't keep it while you're here. As we get older, we tend to have to downsize. We, the, the Collins family is still doing this in reverse. We had this big house in Coffeyville where we lived before. It was 2,500 square feet. And I thought, we're going to have to downsize. This will help me. I'm going to have a smaller house wherever the bishop sends us. The house can't possibly be this big. I'm going to have to downsize. I'm going to have to learn contentment. It's going to be good for me. And we came here, and the house is 4,000 square feet. <laughs> and when we came, there was a lot of empty room in the house. And, you know, over three years, there's, it's not as empty as it used to be. We keep kind of accumulating more stuff. But the truth is, some point in our lives, we start to downsize. We move from a house to an apartment, and we have to get rid of some things. We move from an apartment to assisted living, and we have to get rid of some more stuff. We move from assisted living to a care home, and we really have to get serious about what's really important. Then we move from the care home to the hospital, and we don't really get to take anything with us at all. And then we move from the hospital to a casket. And I don't know if you've looked in a casket. There is not that much space. It's basically just for you. And if you're thinking cremation, that box is even smaller. And, and so what I mean is not only can we not take it with us, we can't keep it while we're here. At some point, we're going to have to downsize our lives. If we live long enough, that is going to be forced upon us. Why not start by not taking so much stuff in? Why not look for ways we can simplify and find contentment even now? Number three, whatever you think will make you happy won't. Have you ever had the thing that you thought would make you happy? You thought, if I just had that, that would make me happy. You know, the, I remember when the iPad came out, I thought, if I just had that, that will make me happy. And you know what? It did. I've been, I've been deliriously happy ever since. No, it, it doesn't work that way. Whatever we think will make us happy, whatever physical possession we think is finally going to make our life complete, we find out time and time again that it doesn't, but time and time again we try the next big thing. Since 1950... Our sense of well-being has declined as a nation. As Americans, our sense of well-being, our happiness has declined even as what we consume has increased. We, we consume more and more, but we're less and less happy. It's the, if they're related at all, they're inversely related. Uh, consumption is like an addictive drug, okay? You need more of it to get the same high that you got before. And you keep having to go back for more and more. And I put, or Pepsi, because that's, that's kind of my little drug of, of choice. I remember growing up, my mom had three boys. I am the calmest child in my family. You may not believe that, but it's true. I am, I am the calm, quiet one in my family, okay? My mom kept the Pepsi secret. We knew where it was, but it was tucked away as if it were liquor, all right? 
It was in the back of the broom closet underneath a pile of rags. And she would have, this was in the 70s, she would have one of those four packs of bottles of Pepsi back there. And only on very special occasions would we get Pepsi. My mom would get a little cup, about four ounce cup, and she'd put in as much ice as possible, and then she'd pour some Pepsi over it. And my goodness, that was great stuff. I wanted that all the time. Well, you may know Pepsi recently came back with Pepsi with real sugar. And we got some of that. So it's like the Pepsi when I grew up. And you know what? I can drink as much of that want because my mom lives an hour away. <laughs> but I tell you, I don't get near as much out of it now that I can drink all I want as I did when I only had a little. Stuff, consumption is that way. Doing more of it doesn't, doesn't multiply how well we feel. It goes down as we, as we move along. Moving on, the fourth thing is that I think what best describes us, this was a definition put out by an NPR station, what best describes our spiritual condition is affluenza. It's kind of influenza of material goods, influenza of wealth, influenza of affluence. And NPR described it as the bloated and sluggish, unfulfilled feeling that results from efforts to keep up with the Joneses. Are the Joneses here today? I am really sorry. I had to apologize to the Joneses. I have changed my language, but this is a quote. Um, the Joneses, of course, are everyone else. When we say we're trying to keep up with the Joneses, that just means we're trying to keep up with everyone else. But it's a bloated, sluggish, and most key, unfulfilled feeling. Definition continues as of affluence being an epidemic of stress, overwork, waste, and indebtedness caused by the dogged pursuit of the American dream. Used to be the American dream was a little house with a white picket fence and a car, one. And the American dream just keeps getting bigger and bigger. The houses keep getting bigger. The yard keeps getting bigger. The cars keep multiplying and getting bigger. And yet we're still not happy. We're stressed. We're overworked. Reminds me of what Jesus said when he said, take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Our life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. A lot of possessions will not make us happy, and they will not make us happy because we were made for God. A fourth century philosopher and theologian named Augustine of Hippo, he said it, I think, best. He said, he said Lord, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. He didn't say it in English, he said it in Latin, but that's a rough translation. In other words, we were made for God, and if we're not resting in God, then we're really just kind of uneasy. We won't find happiness, we won't find peace, we won't find commitment. Jesus said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. A song once put it, uh, the fate of the whole world rests on the shoulders of a homeless man. Jesus did not have a home. He didn't have a place to keep his stuff. He really didn't have any stuff at all, but he was at peace because his heart rested in God. 
The next thing is to remind, remember that the neighbors don't get to judge you. Only God gets to judge. I mowed my lawn last night, mostly because of the neighbors. If I didn't have neighbors, we would be like the tall grass prairie preserve right here in Abilene, okay? I just let it go and just say, oh, isn't this prairie beautiful? We have neighbors, and, and oftentimes we, we buy things and we get things because we're worried about what the neighbors will think of us. Not only do we want to keep up with them, but we don't want to be judged by them. But we forget that only God gets to judge. Paul said, who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies who is to condemn. It is God who justifies who is to condemn. Your neighbors don't judge you. Only God gets to judge. And that means you don't get to judge yourself either. Don't judge yourself by comparing what you have to what your neighbors have. And I have Facebook warning here because I think Facebook, although it can do a lot of good, it's one of the, one of the ways, and I'm not even talking to you guys because I know you don't use Facebook, but fill in whatever <laughs> social network is applicable to you, okay? All right. But Facebook, when you go on Facebook, you see all the exciting things that people are doing in their lives. How many of you are on Facebook? How many of you have posted a picture of the five-year-old car you drive to work because you're trying to be content and not buy a new one? How many have posted a picture of when you stayed at home and take, instead of taking an expensive vacation? How many of you have put up a picture of you were eating grilled cheese at home instead of going out to a fancy restaurant? Do you see, do you see what I'm saying here? We tend to put on Facebook only the highlights of our life. When we're, when most of the time when we're spending money, when we're, when we're getting stuff, we, we put on what we're proud of, but we read it and we forget that. And we look at all the other things that people are doing and we think, why isn't my life like that? Why aren't I on a jet ski and a, you know, a, a Caribbean cruise at the same time? Why aren't I eating out in Washington State and going for rides on roller coasters? We, we see all that. The important thing to remember is no one's life is like that. No one's life is that exciting all the time. Uh, you don't get to judge yourself either. And above all, don't judge yourself by your stuff. That's not the standard God will use. Uh, number eight, if you're having trouble making ends meet, bring the ends closer together. Wanted to say uh, with the Apostle Paul, Paul writes, For I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty, and of being in need. I can do all things through Him God who strengthens me. Paul could make it because God was with him, and that was the secret. And I would remind you that Paul's plenty was probably less than our little. Does that make sense? Even when we think we're really low, we probably still have more than Paul did, even when things were going well. Maybe we don't need to avoid comparing ourselves to other people. We need to compare ourselves to the right people. But remember Paul being able to be thankful even when he was going hungry. 
Uh, if you're having trouble making the ends meet, bring the ends closer together. I don't know about you, but I can't really cut back on anything. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I've seen your Facebook feeds. You all can cut back. I've seen you in real life. You can cut back. But for me, I'm just barely scraping along. No, if you can't think of places to, to cut back, maybe ask a friend. Maybe ask a pastor. I'd be more than happy to help out. If your friends can't tell you anything, maybe ask, maybe ask an enemy. Someone can tell you things you can cut back. Uh, number nine, speaking of cutting back, is to do the math. I mentioned, I mentioned my love of Pepsi. I really like it from the fountain. And on my way to work, I drive by Quick Shop. And Quick Shop, if you refill, if you take in your own cup, you can refill and get a big cup of Pepsi for a dollar, right? And it's only a dollar. Folks, it's just a dollar. <laughs> and it is so tempting to drive by and to pick it up because it's just a dollar. But I would do it every day. And that's $365. And for me, $365 is real money. Well, actually, I don't have to get to $365. $30 for a month is real money. The little things add up. Uh, the next thing is watch your travel. And I want to be cautious here because I don't like to travel. My brother is currently living over in, in Africa, Nairobi. My parents have gone over to visit him because they love their grandchildren. They send back pictures. It looks wonderful. There are, there are mountains. There are all these things to do. There are wild animals. It looks great. I have no desire to go. None whatsoever. I'm, I'm not in the remotest sign tempted. So the easiest thing for me to do would be to stand up and say, don't travel. Don't spend money on travel. But it's a little bit too easy for me to do that. To, to rail against something that I have no interest in myself. And so all I'm going to do is encourage you to, to compare what you spend on travel to what you give back to God and ask, is that ratio where I want it to be? Number 11, uh, remind yourself, if you're seeking contentment, remind yourself that you're better off than 1.2 billion other people. According to the UN, 1.2 billion people live on less than $1.25 a day. Okay? You're better off than them. Maybe inflation has happened. Maybe that's up to $1.35. You're still, you're still better off than, than a huge number of people. Number 12 is avoid the siren song of advertising. 1 John 2.16 says, The pride of riches, remember we talked about that meaning possessions, comes not from the Father but from the world. God doesn't give us this desire to have more stuff. The world does that, and the world does it primarily through advertising. I'll tell you someplace, I do spend a couple bucks every month. I spend a couple bucks every month to take the commercials off the TV I watch. Some of the best money I've ever spent. I've missed out, apparently, on some good commercials, but I also don't want near enough stuff. It's called, I don't watch cable, I watch Hulu. And so you pay a couple extra bucks and they'll take the commercials off. It's a great, that was worth doing. It's really helped me with my contentment. But advertising is a siren song. You remember the sirens from Greek mythology? They had these beautiful voices and they would lure sailors to shipwreck because the sailors would hear the song and they'd want to go where the song was because it sounded so beautiful. And then they would, they would 
bash their ship against rocks. The sirens were doing it on purpose, luring them to their dooms. If, depending on which version of the mythology you read, sometimes the sirens then ate them. But at any rate, avoid the siren song of advertising. Number 13, decide who it is you're going to serve. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Wealth includes possessions. Last night, my lawnmower broke down. Spent an hour trying to get that lawnmower to work again. I was serving, I wasn't serving God, I was serving my lawnmower. All of our stuff is like that. We get stuff and you have to maintain it, you have to find a place for it, you have to take care of it. If it's a car, you've got to vacuum it out, you've got to keep it clean, you've got to do all this stuff. We're either going to serve God or we're going to serve wealth. Choose who you're going to serve. My final suggestion is simply to pray. Pray for what you need, not what you want. Pray for contentment. Pray not to have what you want, but to want what you have. And folks, that prayer works for me. I know by personal experience, if I will pray that prayer, it will work. Sometimes we pray without really wanting God to answer prayers but that's one we should want answered. Adam Hamilton has a prayer that uh, one of you has on your keychain to help you remember. It says, Lord, help me to be grateful for what I have, to remember that I don't need most of what I want, and that joy is found in simplicity and generosity. Maybe remember that prayer. Or simply remember that line from the Lord's Prayer where Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Not, Lord, give us a whole bunch of stuff, but give us what we need. Bread was the most basic thing you could eat back then. That meant, Lord, give me the basics. It shows that we rely upon God without seeking to live with a whole bunch of stuff. And so I encourage you to pray for contentment, and I pray that God might bless you with contentment. Amen.